Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Well, good morning. My name is Sam Silvius. I'm the next-gen pastor here at the church. I've been on staff uh, for about 18 months now. Um, but my wife and I have been in the church for about nine years. So yeah, it was, it was just a little over nine years ago that we came uh, for the very first time. Um, like some of you are this morning, this may be your first time, and we're so glad that you're here. That was our experience about nine years ago. And so shortly after that, within a couple of months, um, we decided that we wanted to get involved, uh, that we wanted to have a community of people around us, and so we joined um, what we were calling back then uh, Life Group. And a Life Group was simply a group of people that was committed to doing life together. And so we joined a Life Group, and um, it was probably the second or third week that we were attending our Life Group, and we met um, at my friend Brian Tungseth's house. Now, I don't remember a lot about what happened that night. I don't remember what we talked about, I don't remember what we ate for snack, but I remember one thing. I remember going out to his garage, which I know is a little bit weird, and I can't for the life of me remember why I was in his garage, but whatever. I was in his garage, and so I'm out in his garage, and I look around, and there in the garage is uh, the sweetest, most amazing mountain bike I've ever seen. Now, I had a bike, but I'm from Kansas. We don't really have mountains in Kansas. I don't know if you knew that. It's pretty much flat. And so my mountain bike wasn't really a mountain bike. I mean, in Colorado, I mean, in Kansas, it was a mountain bike. In Colorado, not a mountain bike. And so, um, but, but I asked Brian, I said, look, man, I, I would like to be a mountain biker. And, and, and I didn't know that much about bikes, but I saw his bike and I'm like, this thing is awesome. Like, I don't know that much, but I know that this thing is amazing. And so I asked him, I said, hey, man, could you, could we, you know, could we go sometime? Could you show me the ropes? And he, he agreed. And, and over the next couple of months, he got me hooked up with a real bike that I could actually ride here in Colorado. And, and, and he told me the ropes and he like, made sure, hey, make sure you get a helmet, right? You need a helmet. Um, that will come into play later later. Trust me. And uh, so, so he got me hooked up. And so it wasn't but a couple of months later that I owned not only a bike, but I owned the little um, trunk rack that we drive around with, right? And, and let me tell you, like we drive around, us mountain bikers, we drive around with that thing. You've seen us, right? You've seen us driving around in the middle of winter. There's three feet of snow on the ground. You know we're not biking, but that thing is still on our car. You know why? Because we want everybody to know that we belong to that group, that we are mountain bikers. And so I had that. I had the, the roof rack and I had, um, uh, I had biking shorts, right? I had two pairs, not just one, but two pairs of biking shorts. Now, you got to understand that mountain biking shorts are different than bike shorts, okay? Mountain biking shorts are loose, but they still have padding. Nobody wants to see this in spandex. <laughs> Trust me, not happening. Right, but I had, I had two pairs of bicycle shorts. I had uh, the sleeve warmers, right, that I would wear. I had like five mountain biking shirts. I had these leggings that went on under my shorts to keep my legs warm when we first started riding. And, and like I said, I got a helmet and I got a camelback so I could drink while we were riding. I had all this stuff within a matter of a couple of months. But, but the, the crux for me, the, the final purchase uh, for me was, was really what really defines you as a true mountain biker. I got clip-in pedals, Now, if you don't know what these are, these are special pedals that go on your bike, and they have a little space for a clip, and you have to wear special shoes, and on that special shoe is a little metal buckle, and it slips right into that pedal. And what it's supposed to do is to give you more efficiency when you're pedaling, because that way when you're pulling up, you're still transferring energy to the bike, but what it really does is ensure that when you fall, you fall on your face. (laughs) 
That's really what happens. That's what those are there for. Because you can't put your foot down. It just doesn't happen. But, but I had all this stuff. And, and I wanted my little tribe of mountain bikers to know that I was one of them. That I had made it that I was a mountain biker. And so um, I had all the stuff that proved I was a mountain biker. But there's, there's really in that community, you're not really a mountain biker until you can take at least one jump. Like, really, until you go over one jump, you're not really a mountain biker. And so, and, and I hadn't done that yet, and it was really kind of embarrassing. Like, I would ride to the top, like, we would ride, and, and I was really proud of myself because we would ride all the way to the top of the trail. I mean, it sounded like this. <gasps> but, but I was proud because we made it to the top. And so that was a milestone in becoming a mountain biker. And then we would ride down, and I would ride most of the trail but every once in a while, I'd have to stop and look around, make sure nobody was watching, get off the bike and like push it through these little things, get back on and hope that nobody saw me, right? But I wanted my friends to know that I was a real mountain biker. And so this day we were going, I just decided, this is it. This is the day that I'm going to prove I'm a mountain biker. And so I got my bike off and I, I knew it in my head. I just knew that today was going to be the day. And I was committed. And so I, I get on my bike and I clip in and I pedal around the parking lot a little bit. And, and we're getting ready to go from the parking lot to the trail. And I call out, hey, guys, watch this. And I ride up, famous last words, right? And I ride up to where the curb is. And my bike begins to lift off the ground as I attempt to jump the curb. And it starts to rise. And it hits the curb halfway up. And my bike stopped in midair. My body did not. And I flew over the handlebars and landed on my face. That's where the helmet comes in. And laid there in the dirt. And I knew that I was not a mountain biker, <laughs> at least not yet. But my friends were gracious. They came over. They made sure I was okay before they laughed at me. And they did. They made sure I was okay. So even though I knew I wasn't a mountain biker, I knew that I was a part of their tribe. I was a part of their community because they showed me grace and they invited me to go mountain biking with them again, even though I made myself look like a fool in the parking lot. <laughs> and they kept inviting me and we got better and, and, and I had a true community in that. And so um, I had a tribe of mountain bikers. And that's what we're talking about today is this idea of tribes. And we're, we're going to talk about it in the context of, of this series that we've been in called Losing Your Marbles, Six Things Every Kid Needs. Now, I don't know about you parents, but when I hear losing your marbles and parenting, I think that's perfect because I'm going crazy. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is these 936 marbles, 936 marbles that represent 936 weeks. Because that's about how much time you have from the time your child is born until the time they graduate high school, 936 weeks. It sounds like a lot of time. And, and let me just tell you, like I have an app on my phone, and this is dangerous, I'm just going to warn you. I have an app on my phone, right? Lisa's smiling at me because she knows, right? We've had conversations about this before. But I have this app on my phone, and it tells me how many weeks I have left. And 936 sounds like a lot, right? And some of you, you've got little kids, and you're like, oh, man, this is never going to end. But I can tell you, my daughter is nine. I have 413 weeks left. That's it. I have 413 weeks to teach her everything she needs to know about being an adult, everything she needs to know about God, everything she needs to know about being on her own. 413 weeks, that's all I have left. And so we, we represent these weeks with marbles because every single week matters. And some of you know just how much every single week matters because this week you went from having 
maybe five, maybe three, down to two. And some of you went this week from having one marble left to having zero marbles left. Friday night, we were here at the church and we celebrated a bunch of seniors who graduated. And we celebrated that moment of them going from one marble left, one week left, to zero. Their pictures are up here on the screen. These are some of our high school seniors that are graduating this year. And we just spent some time with them on Friday, uh, hearing their stories, just talking about our relationships with them, how great it's been for the last three or four or seven or ten years, depending on the kid. And, and then we prayed over them. We, we laid our hands on them and we prayed them out and we said, hey, we want you to go with God. We want you to have an amazing future. We want you to be a world changer. And we are praying that into your life as we send you out into the world. And it was a great time um, with these high schoolers. And so um, this is a huge, huge accomplishment. It's a huge, significant thing. And so uh, we want to celebrate this morning as well, just a little bit. Now, I know that some of you are graduating not from high school. That some of you have put in the hours, the commitment, the dedication to graduate from college with a bachelor's degree, or maybe you've put in the hours to graduate with a master's or a doctorate in this season. And so here's what I'd like to do. As your church family, we just want to celebrate with you and recognize the dedication and commitment that takes. So if you have graduated from anything, high school, college, whatever, if you're graduating in this season, would you just stand up right where you're at? Don't pretend like you don't hear me. Come on. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Yeah. It's a significant accomplishment. We are proud of you. And we are proud to be your family. Okay, thanks, guys. Now, there's one other group that we would be amiss if we did not recognize because, you know, you graduate college pretty much on your own, right? It takes a lot of dedication, a lot of hard work. You have some friends, some teachers that help you, but it's pretty much on your own. But you don't graduate high school on your own. When you graduate high school, it's because your parents got you there. So parents, we give you a round of applause. Thank you for your dedication to those kids. Way to go. So we're talking about tribes, and I told you about my mountain biking tribe, but, but you know, when that word, when we say that word tribes, there's a lot of different things that come to mind. I don't know about you, but the first thing that came to my mind when I heard the word tribe was Native Americans, because I'm pretty sure that's the first time I heard that word, like back in elementary school, right? But that's not what we're talking about this morning. You might think of something, uh, there's a specific tribe that's gained some notoriety in certain media circles. We call them I-sheep, right? We call them I-sheep. They're they're, um, individuals that will basically follow Apple around and buy everything that they make, right? (laughs) Right? I got that right, Dustin, right? Okay, good. All right, so... um, so I, we, you might think of that. You might think of a fan base. I bet in this room that there is a tribe of people who will um, do a certain thing when I say the word, go Broncos. <laughs> See, there's a tribe of Broncos fan. There's another tribe in here that's much smaller, but my boss is in the room, so I have to mention it. There's another tribe in here of Packers fans. <laughs> there they are. Okay. So that was for you, buddy. That was for you. Okay, so, um, so we have these tribes. Now, we will, do, we will go to great lengths. As my mountain biking story shows you, we will go to great lengths to be a part of a tribe. We'll, we'll do a lot of things. But, but we need to understand what a tribe really is. And what a tribe is is simply this, a group of people that have something in common. It might be their ancestry, it might be their theology, it might be their political affiliation, it might be the technology products they like to buy. It might be their sports team. But it's simply a group of people that have something in common. And we will go to great lengths to be part of a tribe. A couple of years ago, my friend Dustin did something that might sound a little crazy. 
For several months, he grew out his beard. In fact, that, this is the first time that I know of that he grew out his beard. And he grew out his beard not by himself, but with 400 other people online. So there was a community of people that got together, about 400 of them. It's called Whiskerino. And they all committed to growing their beards for a season. And then it got, it got crazier than that. 200 of them drove to Nashville to shave them together. I don't get it, right? But, but that illustrates that as people, we need to be a part of a tribe. We want to belong. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And it also illustrates this idea that who we are becoming, that the things that we do, the things that we believe, the actions that we take, the things we spend money on, who we are becoming is largely determined by the tribes that we let speak into our lives. That was true for me. My mountain biking tribe was telling me how to spend my money and I was happy to do it, Right? But, but we do, right? And, and who we're becoming is determined by the tribes we let speak into our lives. There, there's a better, I think an easier way to say this, and, and I hope that it'll help you to remember it. And here's what I'm going to say over and over this morning. The shape of our lives is determined by our tribes. The shape of our lives is determined by our tribes. And because that's true, and because that's true, I think there are two tribes that matter more than any other tribe. I think there are two tribes that have the most significant thing to say, the most significant thing to speak into our lives, and they matter more than anything else. And I think that those two tribes are the family and the church. And the reason I say that is because the family and the church are better positioned than any other tribe to speak the most important thing into our lives. And the most important thing that we could hear is love. That we are loved, that we are accepted, that as we are, God accepts us. That as we are, our, there's a place for us. That, that no matter what we do, there are people that will take us in. When I fell off my mountain bike, I felt loved because my tribe continued to accept me. And so I think that these two tribes, the family and the church, who can communicate love better than any other tribe, are the two tribes that matter most. And we're going to look at a passage in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to look at this passage and see something that Moses says about these two tribes and how they're supposed to work together and how they're supposed to function. And so Deuteronomy 6, but let me give you some background before we just jump right in. Because you, you need to understand what's happening in the context of this passage before we just jump right into it. So here's what's happening. Moses, you may have heard of Moses. Uh, if you've been in church very long, you've probably heard of Moses, but some of you haven't. And so Moses is this guy who God said, hey, I want you to go and set my people free. I've got some people, they're called the Israelites. Pharaoh's got them all locked up being slaves in Egypt, and I'm going to send you to set them free. And so Moses says, okay, fine, I'll go. He goes, he talks to Pharaoh. He says, hey, Pharaoh, God says, let his people go. Pharaoh's like, Psh, I don't think so. So Moses and Pharaoh, they go back and forth for a while. God sends some plagues. Pharaoh finally says, fine, Moses, take the people and get out of here. I'm tired of this. Go. And so Moses does. He gets all 600,000 or so Israelites together, and they head out towards the promised land. They're leaving Egypt. But then Pharaoh changes his mind. He sends the army after him. They come up to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites cross on dry land, and Pharaoh's army is drowned inside the sea, right? And so Moses and uh, the Israelites are home free. They're headed towards the promised land. So they're on their way. Moses is leading them there. They get up to the edge and they're getting ready to go in. And God says, okay, go take the land that I've given you. And they go, I don't think we can. They begin to doubt God. They begin to argue with God about whether or not they can actually go into the land. And this happens to me pretty much on a daily basis. I just want you to know that. Not that I'm arguing with God, but here's how this plays out in my house. Wesley, I need you to get in your car seat. No. 
right? I mean, regularly, I ask Wesley to do something, and the answer is no. I'm not going to do that. No, I don't trust you. I'm not going to do that, right? That happens all the time, parents, right? Am I right? Our parents, our kids argue with us consistently about what we're asking them to do. And what do we do? We discipline them. Well, that's what God does. The Israelites come up, and they say, ah, I don't think we're going to go in the promised land. God says, okay, fine. Then you get to go to timeout for 40 years. <laughs> and so the Israelites are in timeout in, in, on the desert for 40 years. And Moses is leading them, but there's something amazing that happened during that time. God provides for them. He gives them bread called manna to eat that just appears every morning. He gives them quail at times to eat. He gives them water from rocks. He provides for them in this 40 years. And what happens is these 600,000 Israelites are having the same experiences every day. They're sharing this experience together. They're watching God be their provider. And they have a single leader in Moses who's tying them all together. And they become this really incredibly tight community because of the way that they lived over those 40 years. But all of that is about to change. Moses is about to hand off the reins of leadership to this guy named Joshua. And Joshua is going to take him into the promised land. And the Israelites are going to spread out all over the promised land. And so God knows that this is about to happen. And he knows that the way that they've been living is going to change. But he doesn't want them to lose their identity. He doesn't want them to lose their sense of knowing who God is. And so God tells Moses to give him these commands. And Moses writes them down in the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to pick up in chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So Moses gives them all these specific things to do. And I don't know about you, but my tendency when I read a passage like this is to go, cool. I've got a to-do list. Let's get started. And, and, and we could approach it that way. We could say, look, okay, there's a to-do list. Let's get started. Okay, when we sit at home, great, got that. And, and I was thinking about doing this. I was thinking about going through this list and going, okay, I'm going to do all these things that Moses said to do. But then I got down to where he says, bind them on your wrists and on your forehead. And I thought, man, what would that look like if I wrote like some scripture up here, like just get it tatted on my wrist? That'd be pretty cool. Until I go to Walmart. Because I don't want to be on that slideshow. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to be on the people of Walmart. I just, I don't want to be that guy. So that's, that's not going to work for me. So I went back and I looked again and I thought, you know what? I don't think that's really what Moses is saying. I don't think he's just giving specific instructions. And so as I looked at it deeper, what I, what I kind of realized is that what Moses is doing is setting the Israelites up to have a tribe mentality. He wants them to maintain their status. The first thing he tells them is, um, hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. That's their identity. Israel found their identity as a nation because they were God's people. And fast forward to the New Testament, we are God's people because God sent his son Jesus to make us sons and daughters. And if we accept his free gift, we become the people of God. And that's what the church is, is God's people. And so Moses is saying, this is who you are. Do these things so you don't forget your place with God, so you don't forget your relationship with God, so that you don't forget who you are in relationship to God. Here are the things that you need to do. And Moses isn't just talking to parents or grandparents or aunts or the family. He's talking to the entire nation. 
And he's saying, you, Israel, have a responsibility to raise the next generation to have this identity, to be a tribe that loves God and that is known for their relationship with God. And he's, he's giving them these commands. And so he does give them sp- some specifics. And, and from the specifics that he gives, we know that our first tribe is our family. Our first tribe is our family. And here's how I know that. Because Moses says, talk about these things when you lie down and when you get up. And I love all of you, but I am not coming to your house when you get up to talk about Jesus. And I don't really think you want me to. I'm not a happy, thank you. I'm not a happy person at six o'clock in the morning. And so there's clearly a a, a picture here where Moses is saying, parents, you have a responsibility in this. Your first tribe is your family. But he's not saying to do these things specifically. What Moses paints for them is a picture of rhythms and traditions. He says, hey, there's a rhythm to life. There's a rhythm to the way you do things. When you get up, when you lie down, when you travel, when you sit down, there's a rhythm to your life. Incorporate these rhythms. Find traditions that will anchor you to who you are, to who you are in relationship with God and who you are as a family. And we know this is true because we all have been a part of of a tradition somewhere, right? We've all gone to that Thanksgiving dinner um, and sat down and known that this is our place. One of the things that that helps me to know that I'm a part of my family is we have some words that we use that nobody else uses. Except for my wife because she's, um, you know, she's been assimilated, really. And for that, I apologize. But it is what it is. So, um... But in my family, we have some words that we use. And we know that you're a part of the family because only family members use these words. And so when somebody gets sick and you don't know what they have, you don't know what the disease is, we have this word. Um, we say you have qualibolimalis. I know. It's the dumbest word you've ever heard, right? It's completely ridiculous. But that word means something in my family. And when I say something, uh, when I say that word in my parents' house, it connects us as a tribe. It connects us as a family because it's a tradition. There's another um, rhythm, a tradition that I was brought into when I joined my wife's family. Um, short, while we were still dating, just before um, we were getting engaged, I think, she invited me um, to dinner at her grandparents' house. And I thought, oh, this is going to be awesome. I get to meet the grandparents, and, and probably Michelle's parents will be there, and they're all right. They're kind of cool. And um, it's probably just going to be a nice, quiet dinner, and we're going to get to know each other. And I was really excited. And so I show up at, at Grandma's house at 4.30 on a Sunday, and I'm not kidding, there are 30 people there. <laughs> I was terrified. Because there's 30 people. I'm like, what is going on? And it wasn't until later that I realized what was happening. What was happening is that my wife's family got together almost every Sunday afternoon and had a giant cookout with not just my wife's parents, but my wife's parents and my wife's mom's three sisters. So Michelle's three aunts, all of their husbands, all of their children, and all of their children's children. So it really was the entire family came together almost every Sunday to have dinner. And I don't mean like we had like a chicken breast. I mean, there is food everywhere. There's a five-gallon pot of rice. I'm not kidding. Okay, and pots of chicken, just like random chicken dishes, just all kinds of different Guamanian food all over the place in the kitchen. There was so much food, we could never eat it all. But they did this every Sunday. And what I realized is that I wasn't being invited to meet the family. I was being invited into a tradition, into a rhythm that their family had. And it meant so much more because this was them saying, you're one of us now. 
You're a part of us. You get to be a part of this thing because you belong here. And that's what rhythms and traditions can do. They solidify our, um, our identity as a family. They solidify where we land. They, they help us to understand our place. But you know what? Those things don't matter unless there's a relationship behind them. Because you have, most of you, some of you, at least I have, been to a family dinner that was very traditional for your family and you did not feel connected to the family because you didn't want to be there with those people. Right? And so if the relationship isn't there, the traditions don't matter. If the relationship isn't there, then the rhythm doesn't matter because those rhythms and traditions create a sense of belonging, but you have to have the relationship in order to know that you belong. And that's why it's so important that we remember that our ability to influence will be determined by our ability to retain relationship. Our ability to influence will be determined by our ability to retain relationship. If you are not in a relationship with your child, how do you expect to influence them? If you're not in a relationship with your friends or your parents, how do you expect to to influence them? It's impossible to influence without relationship. And so it's so important that we retain relationship whenever we can. And Moses expects this. If we jump down to verse 20 in that same passage, here's what Moses writes. In the future, when your son asks you, Moses expects that there's going to be a future in which you have a conversation with your son. So he's expecting you to retain the relationship. But here's the problem, parents. I was talking to a family uh, just before the 9.30 service, and they had to make a decision about a party this weekend that they didn't allow their child to go. And it can be difficult when you have a teenager that you have to say no to, to retain the relationship. It can be difficult when you have a five-year-old who will not stop screaming at you (laughs) to retain the relationship. It can be difficult when you have a middle schooler who really wants nothing to do with you, just wants to have friends, to retain the relationship. And so here's what you need to hear. You can't do it on your own. You need to widen the circle. You need to widen the circle. And when you widen the circle, you invite others in to say the same thing to your kids that you're saying. You invite other people into your life to help you give you new perspective and to help you look at it from a different angle and to point you back to what's true. And when you widen the circle, you partner with others and exponentially increase your influence. When you widen the circle, you partner with others and exponentially increase your influence. Now, we want to help you with that. In fact, this is one of our primary goals as a church is to help you widening the circle of of influence on your kids. And so one of the things that we've done in NextGen is we have gone to a standard program across all of NextGen in which we do a large group and we do small group. And our desire is that every single kid, every single student that comes into our ministry would be connected with a, with a person, a small group leader, so that they have a place that they know they belong and a person that they know who cares about them. And small group leaders, I just want to tell you, thank you for the hours you spend talking to students, for the time that you spend with them on Sunday mornings, convincing them that God is real, that you love them, that you hug them even when they smell, even when they're dirty, even when they're sticky. Like I've seen Wesley eat a cupcake. Nobody wants to hug him, but they do it anyway because they love these kids and they pour into them. And so I I just want to take a second. If you're a small group leader in one of our environments, anywhere, if you're an adult small group leader or you're a small group leader for high schoolers or or for middle schoolers or or kids, would you just stand up right where you are? I just want to say thank you. Come on. Come on, stand up. I know you're here. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for pouring into the next generation, for helping us to widen the circle. Thank you. And here's why it's so important. A few years ago, around my 30th birthday, I was doubting in a big way. I was doubting God. I was doubting my relationship with my family. I didn't know if I wanted to stay married. 
I really wasn't sure how I felt about my kids at that moment. And I was having a really rough time. And I couldn't call my parents and say, hey, I don't know what to do about this because I'm 30. <laughs> I can't call my parents. It's too late for that. I, I got to look like I got it together, right? And, and I didn't really have friends that I could talk to about that moment. So here's what happened. One night, um, I called a buddy of mine who lives in Denver. And I got together with him and I said, hey, man, here's what's going on. And my friend Gary did not turn me away. He didn't say, man, you need to get it together. He said, I get it. Life is hard sometimes. Let me point you back to what's true. Let me point you back to what you already know. Let me help you to see this from a different perspective. Let me help you see it in a different light. And so for a few hours, Gary was able to point me back to what's true. And I can tell you right now that the reason that I'm on this stage preaching is because Gary took time that night to point me back to what's true. The reason I'm still married right now is because Gary took time that night to point me back to what's real. But that didn't start that night. That started 20 years earlier when a 20-something-year-old guy named Gary called a 13-year-old kid named Sam and said, you want to go fishing? And I can't tell you what we talked about that day on the lake. I can't tell you what car he was driving. I can't tell you any of the details, but I know we sat there and fished for a while, and that was the beginning of a relationship that lasted for years. That when I needed somebody to give me a new perspective, to widen the circle, he was there to point me back to what's true. And so parents, I've, I've given you a lot of stuff. I've given all of you just a ton of stuff this morning, and we've gone through it pretty quickly. And so you're probably thinking, where do I start? I, I don't even know what to do. You said, you said, I need to be a tribe leader at home. I don't even know how to do that. I, I don't know how to create rhythms and, and traditions. I have no idea what I'm doing. I told you that you need to retain relationship, and you're thinking, I don't know what that even means. Like, how do I retain relationship with this high schooler or with this middle school? I don't even know how to do that. And I've told you, you need to widen the circle and you maybe have no idea how to do that, how, what it looks like to invite people into your kid's life, into your life. And we want to help you. Well, I, I don't want to stand up here and say, hey, go do all this stuff. Okay, good luck. See you next week. That's, that's, not, that's not helpful. So when you came in today, there was a card on your seat. And on one side of that card, there's an opportunity for you to sign up for an adult small group. And so if you're thinking this morning, I want to be a better parent, I want to be a better tribe leader, but I don't know how, fill out that card. At the bottom where it says the topic that you want to be a part of, right? I want to parent better. And maybe you're single and you're like, hey, I don't, I don't even have a relationship, but I want to be ready for one. Or maybe you're um, newly married and you don't have kids yet, you, but you want to be ready. Or you want to figure out what it means to be married well right now. You want to figure out what it looks like to make traditions and rhythms right now so that when you do have kids, you invite them in. I don't know what your status is. I don't know if you're divorced, if you're single, if you're a single mom, single dad, but it doesn't matter because we want to partner with you and we want to put you you into a relationship with people who will walk with you and do life with you because you don't have to do it alone. And so if you are interested in a group like that, then fill out that card and say, I would like to join an adult small group. And if you'd like to lead that group, it would be wonderful if you would mark that section. We need leaders to take that on. We need people who will host in their homes to say, hey, you know what? I can't lead because I'm clueless. That's me. Sometimes, most of the time, right, I have no idea what I'm doing, but you know what, I got a great house, and you guys can come here and meet. Mark that box that says, I'll host. Or if you just want to get into a group, mark that box that says, I want to be a member. On the other side of that card, there's a chance for you to sign up to be a leader in NextGen, a small group leader in NextGen. And this morning, if you've heard me say that it is important that we widen the circle, if you've been convinced that the next generation matters and that it's important that we give every single kid, every single student, every boy, every girl that enters this place, that we give them a place to belong and someone to believe in. 
Can you imagine what that would do? If every kid that walked in here had that, can you imagine what this place would look like? What Widefield Security would look like if every single kid knew that there was an adult who believed in them and wanted something better for them and that they were loved no matter what they did? Can you imagine that? If you want to be a part of that, there's a place on that card on the backside to fill out for next gen. And you can partner with us just for the summer. You can partner with us just for VBS or you can make the commitment uh, to be on call so that when we have people be sick or, or go on vacation, you step in so that these kids still know that they belong here, that they have a place. Or you can commit to serving us with us in the fall for the next six months. We're recruiting right now for the fall semester. And so if that's you, if you want to be a part of making sure the next generation knows that they have a place to belong and someone to believe in them, then you can fill out that card. And you take those cards with you as you leave. There'll be baskets as we walk out the doors and they'll be happy to collect those. And we'll get back with you. And I'm not promising next week, but in the next few weeks, we'll get back with every single person who fills out a card and try and get you connected to a community. I'm gonna have a stand right now and have our prayer partners come forward because I've said a lot of things this morning that, that maybe you feel like you haven't done a good job. Maybe you feel like you need to do a better job. But I hope that if nothing else, you're convinced of this one thing, that the shape of our lives is determined by our tribes. And I hope that that's convinced you to be a better tribe leader. And so right now we're gonna sing together and I'm gonna invite you to right where you're at to go ahead and pray and ask God to help you be a better tribe leader. I'm gonna ask you to, to just say, Lord, I commit my family to you and I want to lead them well right where you're at. But some of you are gonna need a little bit extra help because of what's going on. Some of you have some circumstances, some situations where you need to partner with us and we wanna be there for you. And so right now we're gonna be up here. You could come and we would be happy to pray with you this morning and to dedicate ourselves to leading the tribe of the church and to leading the next generation. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.